Thanks for tuning in today for our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of Genesis. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. We are going to, Lord willing, get done with chapter 42 and 43. Now bring it. Come on. Challenge me. Come on. See what happens there. See how this works out. Yeah. I, you know, kind of just kind of like mapping it out, it looks like we might get done with Genesis before we go back to Israel in February. That's all I'm saying. We'll see. Not promising anything, but it's looking good at this point. So here in chapter 42, just to kind of bring us a reminder of how we got to the place of where we are right now, we've been seeing... Um, the development of Joseph in the last few chapters. We have seen him developing into the man that God wanted him to be, gets sold into slavery, and, and so he works there for Potiphar for many years, and then he gets falsely accused, and he's thrown into prison. And so he's very faithful in what God has called him to do, even there in prison. And then you might recall that the baker and the butler have a dream. He interprets their dream, and he tells the butler, hey, when you're in front of Pharaoh, let him know about me, and he totally forgets. And then Pharaoh has this amazing dream, and, and uh, there's nobody who can interpret it for him. And then the butler goes, oh, I remember a guy back in prison that he interpreted my dream. And so he tells him about him. And so uh, Pharaoh asks for Joseph to come, and Joseph interprets the dream and then even tells him what it is he needs to do. And Pharaoh goes, is there any more... Betty in the kingdom more wise than you. And so he raised him up to the right hand of Pharaoh and that he is the most powerful guy in the land except for Pharaoh himself. And so this is kind of the place that we're at at this point. And so um, we have here at this point, Joseph, now seven years of plenty have kind of gone by. He interprets a dream and says, hey, there's going to be seven years of incredible, plentiful uh, grain and food in the land, and, and then there's going to be seven years of extreme famine. So during that time of, of good times, let's, let's make sure that, um, that we tax the people about 20% of what they are making, and then we collect all that grain, we put it into storehouses. So during those seven years of famine, guess what? We could then give back to the people and make sure that they're going to be okay. All right. And so this is what he does. And so seven years of plenty is now gone and now there is famine in the land. And so that's what brings us here to chapter 42. And the interesting thing about this development of Joseph is that he was faithful in the little things. And in Luke chapter 16, it tells us, Jesus says, if you're faithful in little things, you can be faithful in much. And so even though he got thrown into prison, he was very faithful with what God put under his care during that time. And it raised him up to where he oversaw the whole prison at that point. And so he, he is like the poster child of what it is to be faithful in the little things. And even though you've been given, like you think, a raw deal, or this isn't fair that I'm over here. Okay, wherever you are, be faithful in that. Because if you can do that, then God will bring other things that you can be faithful in. Faithful in little things, you can be faithful much. If you cannot be faithful in little things, guess what? You cannot be faithful in much. Jesus goes on to say in Luke 16 that, look, unless you're faithful over another man's goods, you cannot be faithful over your own. 
And I see this time and time again, how people want to skip that step and how they want to have their own business or be able to do this or, or do something big. But when you go back and look at the past, they're not faithful over another man's goods. They're not faithful in the little things. And you're going, this is going to end in disaster. It's not going to work. Be faithful where you are now. Where are you now? Be faithful in that. But I don't want to be here. Don't care. And you know who else doesn't care? God. He cares that you're faithful where you are now. Be faithful in that. And give glory to God. And watch him open other things. This is what he has shown Joseph. Now, God is going to develop the rest of his brothers and his father Jacob as well. Joseph's 10 older brothers have been living a lie for the past 22 years. They all have this secret for the past 22 years, that guilt of selling Joseph into slavery and then taking his coat and and slaying a goat and putting blood on it and handing it over to their father and saying, is this his coat? You know, oh yes, and, and obviously an animal has devoured him. Oh, if you say so. You know, but they know the truth and they're lying by omission. And so they have this little secret and they're guilty. They're guilty. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, he who covers his sin will not prosper. You should memorize that. Whoever covers his sin will not prosper. But it's that second part that's so awesome. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have Mercy, that's a promise of God. You're covering a sin? Confess it to God. Ask forgiveness to God. If you have sinned against someone else, ask forgiveness for that. Because you will not prosper. You will not prosper if you try and cover your sin. But if you confess, forsake, you will have mercy. And then Numbers 32, 23. But if you do not do so, take note. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Honestly, this should be the verse, that very first verse that every child should memorize. (laughs) You as a parent, let them memorize this verse. Your sin will find you out. The 10 brothers are about to learn this principle. Comes like 22, 23 years later, okay, But if you try and cover your sin, you're not going to prosper. Your sin will find you out. And the reason why God wants that to happen is because if it didn't, then we'd all keep on sinning. If you profit in doing what's wrong, you're going to continue to do what's wrong. And God can't allow that, especially for his people. And so now we begin to see the purging of the sins of Joseph's brothers. And so here in Genesis 42, verse 1, it says, When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? Now here's the thing. The famine is now in place, but they're wealthy. They probably have uh, grain stored up themselves and things like that. So this isn't day one of the famine, okay? Famines take time. And so when the famine begins, it's not as bad as, say, the second year or third year of famine. So they're in the famine at this point. This isn't necessarily day one of the famine, okay? Yeah, it hasn't rained in a while. They're still doing okay. You know, they still have crops and things like that. They've been doing fine. I would submit to you this is probably 
about the second year of the famine. They've noticed a whole year of lack of rain, lack of grass, lack of, you know, plants coming up and things like that. So they're probably more or less in the second year of the famine at this point. And they have heard that other people have gone to Egypt, that Egypt for some reason has extra grain. They've heard word from that, okay? And so Jacob says, why do you look at one another? He said, indeed, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down to the place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. Why are you looking at one another? You know, what are you just sitting around for? There's grain to be had. Go to Egypt, buy some grain. So... Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. Benjamin was the last of Rachel's children and so wanted to protect Benjamin from any misfortune that might occur on the way to Egypt. And since his other son, Joseph, whom his uh, beloved Rachel was, was supposed to be at this point, dead. This is Jacob being in control, okay? Look, I had two sons by Rachel, who is my favorite wife, and one of them is now dead. I'm going to protect this one to make sure nothing happens to him. But you guys, go ahead and go to Egypt. (laughs) That's That's what's happening here. This is Jacob being in control. This is why in this chapter, it keeps calling him Jacob subplanter, manipulator. He's in control. Remember, his name was supposed to be changed to Israel, governed by God. We don't see him being governed by God here. But we begin to see that in chapter 43, where he is called Israel. Interesting, very interesting. But Jacob's acting like Jacob here. And the sons journeying went to buy grain among those who journeyed. Uh, Many groups of people from Canaan, we're coming to buy um, grain there in Egypt because for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So here we have, yet if Jacob only knew, if he could only trust the hand of God, that he would see that God's providence is involved here, but he doesn't. He just sees his need, wants to protect Benjamin, let the others go and get uh, the grain. But God knows what he's doing. Famine is not a good thing, but God uses it. God can and does use material need, lack in our life to get us to do things we normally would never do. Normally, the brothers would never go to Egypt, but the need drove them there because they need to come face to face with their sin. Now, Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. So here we're told Joseph's position, he's governor over the land, and because of his position, he's eventually going to make contact with his brothers. This is what, again, is going to lead to them coming face to face with their sin. And Joseph's brothers came, bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Now, maybe we need a little recollection here, a little remembrance of a dream that Jacob had. I want you to go to Genesis 37. Just go to the left here a little bit. Here in verse 5, Genesis 37, verse 5, we read, Now Joseph had a dream. He told it to his brothers, and they said, What a marvelous dream. (laughs) Just waiting for you to turn your pages to see that that's not what it says. 
And they hated him even more, it says. And he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose, stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to them, seems to me they understood the interpretation. He didn't even need to give the interpretation. Okay, all their sheaves are bowing down to his sheaf. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? Are you going to be the authority over us? Not a chance. And here they are bowing down before him. This dream is literally coming true. It's not completely fulfilled yet. Because all the sheaves are supposed to do that. There's one sheaf missing. Who? Benjamin. Benjamin. But it's going to come true. And then that second dream with the stars, the sun, and the moon bowing down, signifying his whole family, that is also going to happen here later on. So verse 7 says, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. He's testing them right now. Quite possibly, they could be lying. Where do you come from? He knows they're from Canaan. Where do you come from? Uh, We're from Edom. Wouldn't that have been interesting? Ah, they're still liars, you know. So let's just see how honest they are. Where do you come from? We come from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Remember that Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites that were going down to Egypt, okay? Now, you're talking 13 years being a slave uh, servant to Potiphar, then another two or three years there in prison, about 13 years, and then he interprets Pharaoh's dream. So now you have seven years of plenty, okay? Now we're at 20. We're probably in the second year of famine. So we're talking probably 22, 23 years later. From 17, he's now 40, clean-shaven, dressed as an Egyptian. They're not going to recognize him. They're not going to recognize him. He's going to recognize them, however, because they would have been in the mid to late 20s all the way to about early 40s. So now, 23 years later, all their features are going to be recognizable. They'll have a little bit more gray hair, but they're still going to look like what they looked like pretty much back then. And so he recognized them. They don't recognize him. Verse 9. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. We'll find out about that. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. Four times Joseph accused them of being spies. In verse 9 here in verse 12, also in verse 14 and 16. The nakedness of land means that you're here to see where Egypt is vulnerable to attack. You're spying out the land. And their defense was, we're not spies. We're just ordinary folk that need, uh, you know, need food. We come from Canaan. We're, We're honest men. Joseph's going to see if that's true. 
And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of, uh, of one man in the land of Canaan. In fact, the youngest is with her father today, and one is no more. Well, one is no more means one has passed on or one is now dead in reference to Joseph. And so they believe that after selling to the Ishmaelites, he's probably dead by now. And so Joseph now has an opportunity to see how honest they really are. He's given, they've given a lot of information. He didn't even ask certain information. But just like anything else, when you're really guilty of something, you just start talking. And, and, and God's word says in a multitude of words, sin is not absent. But in a multitude of sin, uh, words, a lot of things are revealed, okay? He didn't ask, you know, how many brothers there were or, or if anyone died or anything like that. He didn't ask any of that. But they were just kind of like, you know, trying to show we're really honest men. This is who we are and started giving a lot more background than they needed to do at that point. And Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you, you are spies. And so he now knows, well, Benjamin's alive. Sounds like his father is still alive. But since they lied about him being dead, are they possibly lying that Benjamin is dead? Mentions Benjamin, but maybe he's dead too. Maybe they didn't like him being that he was from Rachel and did something to him. He doesn't know for sure at this point. And so he tests them further. In this manner, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Now, this is not the same prison that Joseph was in. The prison that Joseph was in, according to Genesis 39, verse 20, the Hebrew word is sohar. It means a house of roundness or tower or dungeon. This is where Joseph stayed for three years. So this is a place either that is round, like a tower that you would keep prisoners or whatever. This is a true place where you go if you've offended Pharaoh, as we know, with the butler and the baker, or if you were accused of something that they thought you were guilty, like Joseph sleeping with Potiphar's wife, even though that wasn't true. This is where they, they went, okay? But the word for prison here in chapter 42, verse 17 and 19, which it says prison house in verse 19, the word here is mishmar. And it means ward or watch or guard, a place of confinement. In other words, you're under house arrest. You're under house arrest. So he puts him in house arrest, probably there in uh, Joseph's house. He probably does have a place to keep prisoners temporarily, okay? So this is where they're being kept for three days. And you can do a lot of soul searching in three days, okay? And so... These next verses, we now have a change of plans. Instead of holding nine, letting one go free back to bring back the younger brother, he's now only going to hold one and the nine are going to go back to bring back the brother. So in verse 18, it says, And Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. I do believe there's a typology there. Interesting, third day. You know, they're in prison and they're released on the third day, much like Jesus, you know, on the third day, he is alive. 
There's a lot we could go with there, but we're going to refrain at this moment. Um, He says, do this and live for I fear God, Elohim. Now, why is this Egyptian telling them that he fears the same God that they fear? Why is he fearing the same God that is their God? It's interesting. They're, They're so anxious about the predicament that doesn't even cross their mind. That doesn't even cross their mind that this Egyptian believes in their God. He says, if you're honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. So again, Mishmar. And, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. So the plan, cha- plan changes. Now one stays behind, the other nine go. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. So when he was in the pit, he was crying out to them, don't do this thing, don't do this thing. They heard the anguish in his soul, but they didn't listen. And then it says, we would not hear, therefore this distress has come upon us. They are able to see our guilt from this is what's making this predicament that we're in right now. And Reuben answered, said to them, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against this boy and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, the blood is now required of us, which means they believe he's dead now. They believe he's dead. Reuben says here, I told you so. It's Reuben that went to bat for Joseph. If you recall, when they grabbed him, threw him in the pit, he's the one that says, don't kill him, you know? Um, and then it says in, in that narrative that uh, he was hoping to come back later on, get him out of the pit and bring him to his father, Jacob. That was his plan. But while he was out, you know, inspecting the sheep or whatever, it was Judah that says, hey, let's not have blood on our hands. But look, Ishmaelite traders, let's at least profit from it. Let's sell it to him and we'll make a little money. And that's how he got sent to Egypt. But they believe that Joseph is dead and now God is requiring the blood for them. But they did not know that Joseph understood them for he spoke to them through an interpreter. This whole time, Joseph has been speaking Egyptian to him, but there's another person there that would translate for him. And so they spoke openly before Joseph thinking he couldn't understand. So he's hearing all that. He hears how they confess that they're truly guilty concerning their brother Joseph. And now they're realizing, now this is what we deserve. And they're taking responsibility for it. They're beginning to own up to their sin is what's happening here. They're racked with guilt. They've admitted their sin. And when I read the Bible, that puts you in the way of grace. You're now being led towards the way of grace. Without guilt, there could be no forgiveness, no resolution. Guilt is a very, very good thing. It's you recognizing and I'm recognizing that I've done something wrong. I should feel guilty about that. I should, but that's what leads us to confession and repentance. This is why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, for godly sorrow, guilt, godly sorrow produces repentance, which leads to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. But observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourself, that cleansing, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you prove yourself to be clear in this matter. It brought you to a place of 
repentance, confession, repentance. Guess what? When you do that, you're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're in right relationship with God. It's a good thing. It's a real good thing. That's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in Genesis. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. And on Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday evening at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell gas station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. 